Let's turn to Genesis uh, chapter 25. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I want to remind you what we read. Maybe it uh, escaped you. Maybe it didn't. <clears throat> In the psalm that we read today, 138, there's an astounding verse that maybe you caught or maybe you didn't. <clears throat> and it says this, I'll worship towards your holy temple, David says, and praise your name. <clears throat> Uh-oh. I have a frog in my throat. I'm sorry. <clears throat> no one wants to hear it, but I will worship your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Now watch or listen. For you have magnified your word above all your name. What's the name of people? Uh, what's it referred to in the Bible when people talk about the name of people? It talks about the nature and character of who someone is. And what David is saying here is that the word of God, oh, thanks so much. Oh, cough drops, everything. This is great. <laughs> the word of God uh, is to be uh, to revered, to be magnified, because God has magnified his word above his name. It's incredible. Why would God do that? I think why, because he knows uh, that People who take in the word on a consistent daily walk and apply it or obey it become healthy people spiritually. And he wants his kids, his people, to be healthy. And so uh, I just was reminded of that this morning uh, because when you come here, you're going to see some things that you may or may not like. Genealogies. <laughs> and you go to, and you start scratching your head. Okay, okay. Well, that's pastor speak now. Except for when you get into it and you see what's happening here, uh, uh, it can uh, become quite amazing. And here's what it says in uh, Genesis chapter 25. That's where we'll begin. Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. So let's stop right there. <laughs> If you're here and you haven't been following along with us, you're joining us new here. We're following and uh, going verse by verse through the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And uh, we're now uh, uh, moving on from Abraham to his son, Isaac. Isaac is the son of promise. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, who just died in the last chapter, had a son named Isaac. They waited for him for several years, promised by God. And now, practically, what we're uh, reading and looking at is the transition from this, um, uh, Abraham to Isaac. And Isaac's going to have a, have a couple children, Jacob and Esau, and we're going to see next that the promise is going to move from Abraham to Isaac to Esau, or excuse me, ah, I gotcha, to Jacob, okay? And so that's where we are uh, uh, practically here in the book. And yet, we've been following the line. Uh, the first 11 chapters are mostly about creation. That's what uh, uh, the book of Genesis is about, the creation story. But we've been moving through Adam and Eve then Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, uh, but 
One of those sons was murdered, and a new son came in, and his name was Seth. And then we moved through Seth, and we moved uh, to Noah, and uh, we're moving now from Abraham on to Isaac. Everybody following? And we're studying and looking now at the patriarchs. That's what the rest of the book of Genesis is about. But the patriarch story, if I was going to write one word about the patriarchal story, I would write the word grace. You go, wait a minute, Old Testament. What do you mean grace? Well, here we see through this entire time, God's choosing his perfect and uh, pleasing will that chooses grace, choice, grace, gifts, uh, bestowing upon people things that they don't deserve. That's grace. And we see grace in the most amazing way in the New Testament when we're uh, given the gift of Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate gift. And oh, by the way, what we're following here and what are we doing? What is the purpose of all this? Ah, well, it's in Genesis 2. Turn with me there. Just to remind ourselves, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 3, but uh, what is the purpose of what are we doing, or, or what is the purpose of what God is doing through Moses by the Holy Spirit in writing these things down? Well, the purpose is this. You know that in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, there was the temptation and the fall of men, or man, right? And the first prophecy happens in chapter 3 of of the book of Genesis. When God is talking, uh, let's pick it up uh, in verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman... What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And here it comes. Here's the purpose of what we're doing in the book of Genesis and onward. And I, God says, will put enmity. You know what the word enmity is? Enmity means there's this thing between people. If you have enmity with somebody, there's this wall between you and two, uh, two, there, disfellowship, etc. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And look, seed is capitalized there. You get that? And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So the Lord God says to the serpent, he's talking to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed, he says to the serpent, little s, and her seed, big s. Because why? Because through a woman, the line or the Messiah was going to come. And the big S was going to get bruised 
on his heel. He, he was going to take a bruising, but it wasn't going to defeat him. But the big S was going to crush the enemy. That means bruise your head, crush your enemy. You see it? And the whole rest of the Bible is in fulfillment of that prophecy. And we're moving at the beginning stages through the line of people who is going to take us to Jesus Christ. Do you get it? And that's what we're doing. So there's a tendency here now to get into the middle of Genesis and sort of do this. Too many genealogies. I don't know about this, but I want you to remind you of something that we talked about right at the beginning of this series. You understand that the people kept records back then and apparently delivered them to Moses. And Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put together a record of 10 or so generations. And those generations or genealogies can be found here. Genesis 2-4, Genesis 5-1, 6-9, You're like, why are you telling me this? 11-10, 11-27. Now watch. Then there's the one in this chapter. Actually, there's two in this chapter, sorry. And there's one in chapter 36 and one in chapter 37. And the reason I'm telling you that is we're over 50% of the way done with the genealogies, but we got a lot of chapters to go. But that's what's happening, and here you're going to get into this, these genealogies again. But here, Abraham, as we move towards Isaac, I'm just trying to orient us so that we all can understand and know where we're moving to. Here, Abraham, his wife is gone. Not really gone, though. We know where she is, and he knows where she is, and some time has now passed, and he takes another wife, and her name was Keturah. Now, Keturah in the Chronicles, somebody's going to come up after and say, oh, Keturah was a concubine. That's what it says in the Chronicles, that Keturah was Abraham's concubine. And that's true, but apparently, she, after Sarah died, she became his wife. And so here, Abraham takes a wife, and her name was Keturah. It can mean incense or spice, her name. And she bore him these sons, Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, and that's important. Circle that or write it down, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. And this one son, Jokshan, he begot Sheba and Dedan. You're like, I'm glad I came today. And the sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Latushim, and Leumim, I guess. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abadah, Eldah, and all these were the children of Keturah. You and I are saying... 
Woo. I don't know about this. But if you remember what's happened prior, you're going to start to understand why these things are written here. And it will bless your heart. You, if you're waiting on the promise that God has given you, and you've said, why, God, did you not give me the promise? Where are you? It's been a while. Then these genealogies and these things are going to bless you. And here's why. Because Abraham was told by God, starting in verse 12, that he was going to make, God was going to make Abraham's descendants like the dust of the earth. And he was going to make Abraham's descendants like the stars in the sky. Now, how many sand, uh, pieces of dust are there on earth? Gazillions and gazillions and gazillions, right? And so, He also said he was going to make his family very fruitful and into a whole bunch of nations. That's in chapter 17. And the Lord, all this time, from chapter 12, all through this time, has been telling Abraham, you're going to have a lot of kids. And yet, here he is, scratching his head even once again. Remember, he waited forever, he and his wife, for a long time, for the first kid, the first child, Isaac. And they named him Laughter, Ishmael too, but Ishmael was first. But you you get it. He had Ishmael and then he had Isaac. Well, I guess Isaac was first, but you, you get what I'm saying. He only had two boys. And one of his boys, Ishmael, with a handmaiden, was told to go out and, and leave. So he only had one son around. You get what I'm saying? And so he must have been scratching his head going, what, what's happening here? What do you mean I'm going to have descendants like stars or like dust? You get it. And so this particular, these particular verses bless, begin to bless your heart because God takes this lady whose name can mean incense, meaning she was sweet and was a prayerful person had a sweet aroma to her life. And they have kids. And it blesses your heart because God delivers always on his promise. And what are some of the promises God has given to us? He's promised never to leave us. He's promised never to forsake us. He's promised to be our shield and refuge and strength. He promises to uh, give us the Holy Spirit when we uh, come to surrender our life to him and to not only just give us the Holy Spirit, but to fill us with the Holy Spirit and to give us life and life more abundantly. You say, I'm bored. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll never be bored. And so you could go on and on and on. God delivers on his promises. You with it? So there's somebody in here today is like, I don't know about that. I'm sure of it. We've all sort of said that. Yeah, Lord, I know you, you did this and said this and asked this or, you know, you had this for me, but it's not happening. And I'm not real happy about it with you. I mean, you might not say that, but that's what you're thinking. And maybe I've thought that too. But you and I and we need to know that God delivers on his promises. He not only cannot lie, the Bible tells us, he has the ability to follow through on his promises. Never forget that. So what should we do? 
We should live in the land of promises, just like the Israelites. Learn the promises, know the promises, pray the promises, access the promises, believe the promises, trust the promises, and that's how you move and walk every day. Whether you go to an office or you go to a a soccer field or you go to a school or you go anywhere, all of us are to access and appropriate the promises of God, and that's where we're to live. Amen. And here you go. You say, well, how? come on, how did you get that through six kids? It's because the backstory or the previous chapters has told us that God was going to give him descendants like stars or dust. And here they come. He must have thought it was over when his wife died, or at least was tempted to think that. And Abraham, look at this, gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. You say, wow, is that nice? No, there's nothing in here that says that Abraham or, um, uh, uh, you know, the people who he had um, a child with didn't love their kids. But what Abraham was doing on a practical level was acting in faith here. He was giving gifts, taking care of them, and sending them away because he knew that God was going to deliver on his promise and had begun to deliver on his promise through the other kids or children, but that God was especially going to bring a promise of salvation through this one son, Isaac. You get it? And so instead of seeing it as if he's being mean or they're being mean, no, it's actually a response or an action of faith. He's trusting God that God's going to do it. He's going to take care of his sons out wherever they go to the east, but he's also going to deliver through the promised son. That's what's happening. Now look. If you're new here and you're, I want, there, there's another tract to think about this. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that the things that were written in the Old Testament were real things, real history, but they're also types and shadows of a reality that's to come in the new. And Isaac obviously is a type of Jesus Christ. He's the son, remember, that the father took up to Mount Moriah. Oh, by the way, the same place Jesus would be crucified. And he was to sacrifice his son. But before that happens, God speaks to them and says, I'll provide myself a sacrifice. Everybody with me. So Isaac, and so he wasn't sacrificed. And, but God would provide himself a sacrifice. That is a prediction or a a pointing towards Jesus. We believe in one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How many gods do we believe in? One. One in essence and nature, three distinct eternal persons. You with me? So Isaac here is a picture of the Son. Now look. 
Go with me a couple places. I think this will bless your heart. We're now going to study this verse as a pointing towards Jesus and what God the Father did for the Son. Let's just go a couple places. Let's go to John 17, verse 7. John 17, verse 7. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, right after the Last Supper, is now walking probably over to the Garden of Gethsemane, taking some of his disciples. They've been in the upper room. He's been praying since and talking since chapter 14, giving them warnings, giving them peace, giving them comfort. Now he's praying for himself in the first part of 17, and he begins to pray for his disciples. Just stick with me. This will bless your heart. And he says this, I have manifested your name, he's speaking to the Lord, to his father, to the men whom you've given me out of the world. That's verse 6. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. That, to me, is saying a couple things, and one of the things it's saying is that God the Father has given all things to the Son. You with me? Okay, turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, a very famous verse. You're all going to know it. Most of you or many of you in here uh, would be able to quote it, but let's look at it with our own eyes. Hebrews, if I can get there, chapter 1. Yeah, we're getting there. Sorry. God bless you. God, who at various times, verse 1, or excuse me, yeah, verse 1, chapter 1, and in various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he, God the Father, has appointed heir of all things. Jesus is the heir, H-E-I-R, of all things. Are you tracking with me? Now you go one more place and we'll stop. We'll go to Colossians. I told you about this last week or maybe uh, this Wednesday. But anyway, it's Colossians chapter 1. And you get to around verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, Jesus is, the firstborn over all creation. Now here's the part I want you to know. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities. Now watch. All things were created through him and for him. How many things, being a smart aleck sort of, all things, everything was created through Jesus and for him. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you is, in Genesis chapter 5, when Isaac is a picture of the son, and it says, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, you go, whoa, Abraham was a rich dude. He lived in tents because he had a uh, a face toward the heavenly city, so he never really had a permanent structure. He didn't live in Nevillewood. 
or whatever, a big house. He lived in tents, but he was rich. And it says that he gave it all to the son of the promise. Do you get it? And you say, well, why are you going crazy about that? Because Jesus has all that the father has. He participated in all that was created and he, uh, all that was created and all that God has is for Jesus. You're like, okay. So here's what I would say. How does this practically help me in my life? That's what Americans want to know. We want to know how that helps us. Well, here's how it helps you. You know, the next time you have a major decision and you go, well, wait a minute, is that the will of God? I don't know what the will of God is. What's the will of God? Should I go to Yale? Should I go to Harvard? Should I go to wherever? Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? Well, here you go. You remember that anything that is in the flow of what Jesus has been given and then has by grace given unto you, you remember that everything was laid at Jesus' feet. He has everything. If it honors and is in the flow of what Jesus is doing, go for it. It's not that difficult. God is not so much concerned about whether you go to Yale or Harvard about who you are when you go there. You get what I'm saying? Jesus has it all. He has all the resources. If you are honoring Jesus, if what you're doing is in the flow of what Jesus is all about, And you can say, I'm doing it for Jesus' glory. Go for it. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Is it safe? Or is it out? Like an umpire. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. If you're doing it for those reasons, go for it. I love what the founder of Calvary Chapel says, Chuck Smith, step out in faith. If it's of the Lord and if he wants you to continue to do it, if you've gone through these litmus tests, it's for the Lord, it's honoring him, it's in the flow of what he's doing and executing, then he'll provide. You say, oh, it takes money to do this. Where God leads or where God guides, he'll provide, he used to say. But also, Pastor Chuck would say this, if you step out and it doesn't work, well, what's the harm? Just go back and pray again and keep going and moving forward unto the Lord, right? We make it so cataclysmic and so awful. Well, I didn't know about this one job. Well, step out in faith and take it. And if it doesn't work out, just send your resume elsewhere where God Guides, he provides, and he has everything. All the resources to bring his kids through this. All right, I've gone on enough. But I'm passionate about it. Uh, some, oh, I was at a pastor's appreciation breakfast this week, and the young people did such, and their teachers uh, did such an amazing job. And I was reminded when they were reciting 
this very famous verse, Romans 12. You want to go there? It talks about the will of God in there. I beseech you, verse 1, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies to a living sa- or as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. I love this part. It's so nice. It is. It's just so nice. You know, I would have said it way more drastic than this. Like, hey, dummy, you know what Jesus did for you? Give your whole life back to him. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, which is your reasonable service. If you understand what the Lord has done for us, your reasonable service, the thing that you're going to do next is to give your life back to him. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I fear a lot of times when we memorize this verse, we put a period after that. But there is not a period after that. And it says, what? That you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't make the will of God so complicated. Make it this. Lord, you've done everything for me. I'm just going to give my whole life back to you. Because, oh Lord, you have everything. You, Everything was made for you. And you can move me around or propel me through. It's just my reasonable service. I'll just show up and do my reasonable service, which is wherever you plant me, wherever I go, I'll give you glory. That's the will of God. That's amazing. That takes the pressure off. Wherever God's planted you. You say, well, I don't like my job. Well, maybe you don't, but you're there now. Be the light of the gospel there. Get your resume sharpened up. uh, Send it out. Do whatever. But while you're there, man, give him Jesus. He might move you on, but maybe he won't. So... All of that through Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. It's a picture of what Jesus has given to the, or excuse me, what the father has given to the son. He's the son of promise. Honor him with your life. But Abraham gave gifts. The other sons go away. And then it says this. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived. You know what we're always doing in the church? Talking about the youth group. What about the old people? Well, I'm one of them. Yes, right. Well, today we're going to talk about the old people, of which I include myself. (laughs) Look, this is the sum of the years. By the way, in the Hebrew it says the days of the years. I think that's really important. It says this is the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 100 years. And 75 years. Now, just for interest's sake, do you know this? Abraham lived during Seth's lifetime. Let that sink in. Seth, or excuse me, Shem's lifetime. Okay, son of Noah. Sorry about that. I missed, I said it wrong. Somebody back there is telling me. <laughs> yeah, Shem. He, one of the sons of Noah, Shem, lived 465 years, and Shem still lived while Abraham lived. Isn't that incredible? Do you think Abraham knew the stories of creation? Amen? 
And oh, by the way, uh, Abraham was born two years after Noah died. So, come on, these were fresh stories that Abraham was getting. Interesting. That has nothing to do with the sermon, but I thought you'd be interested. This is the sum of the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Now let's just take a look at some of these things that the Bible tells us about being elderly, again, of which I consider myself. Okay, Psalm 139. Go there, Psalm 139. And uh, look at verse 16. Psalm 139, verse 16. And this is speaking about your days. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Do you know that God has in mind for each one of us, each of us, the perfect amount of days? So you don't have to worry about it. Now listen, take care of your body, eat the right stuff, be a good steward with the things that God has given you, exercise and do all of that. Yes, praise the Lord. But you're going to, not going to die <laughs> one minute sooner or one minute later than the day that God has for you and for me. You can take uh, a solace in that. God knows you. God cares for you. And what about this? When you go to Psalm chapter 90, go there. Verse 12. So if that's true, and it is, the psalmist tells us how we're to live. And you know this. So teach us. The psalmist says, a prayer of Moses, teach us to number our days. Moses wrote, by the way, the book of Genesis. Or put these genealogies together to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you want to live your life to the fullest as a life of wisdom? Then number your days. Somebody just said to us yesterday that they were studying about the return of Christ for his church and the second coming. And that recently had taken on an amazing impact in his life. That he was living his life for the Lord at reasonable service and taking it day by day. And I think this is what the psalmist had in mind that you're to uh, uh, number your days, that you recognize that you only have a certain amount of days when then you get to go be with the Lord. It's not like it's sad for you. You're going to go be with the Lord if you're saved. But we're to teach and we're to live them out to the fullest. And that's how a wise heart is developed. You get that? Then... Uh, you turn over to uh, Psalm 92. We're close there. Read there while we're here. Look in verse 12, Psalm 92. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He'll grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall furnish, or flourish as the 
in, uh, in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. You know, you, you never retire from being a Christian. Maybe you stop your work or something, but you're never stop retire or you never retire from being a Christian. And here it says, if you are planted like a, you can be planted like a palm tree with refreshment and lots of fruit in arid places and you'll flourish in God's courts and bear fruit and you'll be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. He has a plan for us old people. (laughs) Isn't that great? What's our reasonable service? What's the will of God? I don't know what to do. I've stopped working. What do I do? Whoa, man, what is the Lord putting on your heart uh, in a godly way? He can take you to the right ministry. You can serve here. You can go there. You have this amazing gift now. You can go during the days to the hospital, to the nursing homes, or whatever the Lord's putting on your heart. The homeless, do that. Man, you got these opportunities now, and you'll be flourishing because you'll be giving out. That's what he says. And then one final one. You're like, oh, please. 39 chapter of Psalm. Go over there. And here's one final thing that I'll say. There's many more in the Bible or point you to. Verse 4, Lord, make me to know my end. You know what we do in America? We hide our head from our end. We stick our head in the sand. Here the psalmist says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. And you say, well, well, that's not a good thought. Yeah, it is because when we're weak, he is strong. The Bible tells us. Understand that you, you know, not to be morbid, but I could walk out here and, you know, the bus hit me. And then what would be, you know, so, so here it has a purifying effect on your life. Go and live your life today. Go find the people you have grudges with and resolve them. Go find the people you haven't said you loved in a long time and tell them you love them. And go get that right. And ask for a filling of the Holy Spirit and ask him to show him, show you where to go and where to serve and how to give my life back reasonably in service. Amen? Because here's why. You think you're young, you think you're old, whatever. You never know. But if you live your life like this, it's like, well, I'm going to have no regrets. Don't you want to have no regrets? Okay. Now, I went through that whole thing because, look, Abraham had no regrets. It says that he had the days of the years. I want you to know this. That's why I went through this whole thing. The Hebrew actually says the days of the years. It's not a sprint. You want to be wise? It's a daily walk with thee. Is that a song or a hymn? That's such a wise thing. You go, well, what, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 18 now. I'll, when I'm 50, I'll be wise in the Lord. Well, it's not a guarantee. Just because you're old means you're wise in the Lord. It's a daily walk with thee. It's not a sprint. It's not like, oh, I'm going to do something for the next two weeks. It's a little bit, day by day, just with the Lord. 
giving your life back, hearing from the Lord, spending time with the Lord every day, every day, just a little bit, just enjoying him and he enjoying you and pushing you out for service and life so that when you get to the end, you could say, oh, Lord, no regrets. And by the way, it's not the end. That's a stupid thing for me to say. It's just the beginning for forever. So I read this and I go, whoa, wait a second. Abraham had some ups and downs, did some really stupid things, acted unfaithfully a lot of times, but faithfully too. His trajectory of his life was towards the Lord. He actually told them to say his wife was his sister. That one gets me. And he did it twice. But here, the Bible describes him as breathing his laugh, dying in a good old age, and he was full of years. That means he lived a life of no regrets. And he was gathered to his people. What does that mean, gathered to his people? Because remember, he only has one people so far that's died. (laughs) That's Sarah. So it can't just mean Sarah. Here's where we start to see, and other places too, a beginning of the Old Testament folks knowing of an afterlife. Right? A cloud of witnesses. And they sort of saw it murky. Once we get to the New Testament... We understand that we can have eternal life, but that's what that means. And he was gathered to his people and his son, Isaac and Ishmael. (laughs) You, You get this, right? What an awkward scene that must have been. Hey, Ish, how you doing out there? You know, punching on the arms and all that sort of thing, right? Or tripping or whatever. This is Ishmael and Isaac together again to bury dad. And here uh, they do it, and they bury him in the cave of Machpelah. Now, you remember, this is the field, we'll learn this here in a second, where Abraham purchased it from the uh, Hittites in faith. And his sons uh, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which Abraham bought in the field of Ephron, the uh, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Eph, There Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass at the death of Abraham Abraham, that God blessed his son Isaac and Isaac dwelt at Ber Laha Roy. Remember, there were a couple places uh, where God saw and heard Hagar, right? And... uh, you remember that uh, over in Genesis 16:14 but this is the same place uh where Abraham was uh, uh Isaac was excuse me when they bought, brought back his bride from a far land so he brought back the bride uh and uh, uh so this is a place where people heard from God Isaac dwelt there. He was a smart guy. He wanted to be around the things of the Lord. But I want you to see something else. (laughs) You know, it's sort of a a sharp... I mean, Abraham's a pretty important figure of the Bible. Would you say so? Walk with God, friend of God. He's in the Hebrews chapter 11, Hall of Faith. This is an important guy, right? And here's the sum of when he is dead. 
And it came to pass after the death of Abram or Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at Ber Lahai Roy. In other words, the work of God continues on. Now, God cares for you and loves you. And he thinks you're wonderful. How do I know? Because in Psalm 116, it says, listen, listen. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That's Psalm 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints which tells me something when I'm reading this. We get all jammed up and sad and worried. And oh, by the way, I do too. And and, and sad when people I love die. So I'm not saying we shouldn't. But God here just continues on with his work in the Bible. You get what I'm saying? And you say, well, is that mean? No, it's not mean. Because God thinks it's precious when his saints die. Why? Because they get to be with him. That's amazing. Oh, I think it's amazing. But And what a, what a grand thought. We still are sad. Jesus was sad when his friends died. Of course, that's a normal human emotion. We have to grieve in the right ways. No one's saying be happy when that happens. And yet, the per- eternal perspective is that God enjoys it's precious to him when his saints die and that the work of God continues on. In fact, the theme from here until the rest of chapter 35 or most of the chapter of 35 is detailing how God blessed Isaac. And, you know, when you look at Isaac, Many people argue that Isaac was sort of given the short end of the stick here in the Bible, in between some great patriarchs and not a lot about Isaac. And yet, the Bible seems to indicate that he's going to be blessed. In fact, look at this. This is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the son of Ishmael, by their names according to their generations. Ishmael, Nebajoth, Kedar, Adbeel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, Tima, Jetur, Naphish, and Kadima. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements, 12 princes according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. And they dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria. And he died, it actually says in the Hebrew, he fell in the presence of all his brethren. Now, what's this all about? Why would you tell about Ishmael, who's not the son of, son of a promise? Isaac is. Why would you tell about Ishmael? Well, God promised earlier uh, when uh, Abraham was worried about his son Ishmael, who is going to be sent out, that he would be a great nation too, or he would be made up of great nations. The Bible's telling you again, God adheres and delivers on his promises. But it also takes the bow and wraps up the life of Ishmael. 
So we won't follow that anymore. You get that? And so uh, uh, you have that here. And then we move into, look, a genealogy, chapter 12. And now here's another genealogy, the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when Rebekah took, or when he took Rebekah as wife. And um, she was the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now, you know the story because we read it. Remember, the unnamed servant went into the far land and grabbed, grabbed, didn't grab, but went through, she fed, uh, gave him a drink, gave his camels a drink, and he knew she was the one, God said she was the one, and brought her back, and we'd explored that last time, remember? And here it's telling you that Abraham uh, had Isaac, and he was four years old when he was married to Rebekah. Now look at this. Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife. Because she was barren. Okay, you're going to have to wake up here. This is a theme throughout much of the Old Testament, the barrenness of ladies in the Old Testament. Now, Rebecca had an amazing pedigree. She came from the, uh, the area in which Abraham came from. She was very beautiful. She apparently was a hard worker and resourceful and followed the Lord and wanted to do the right thing and the unnamed servant brings her back. So maybe because for 20 years, Rebecca and Isaac are married and they're barren. So I can imagine what was happening with Rebecca and Isaac and yet you don't see any of the laughing that was going on between Abraham and his wife, Sarah, when it happened to them. Now, just hold on for a minute, because I seriously have a point. But they inquired of the Lord. That's what his hus- the husband did. He pleaded with the Lord. This is the same word used when Moses pleaded with God and pleaded with Pharaoh, all those pleading words when the, he was trying to get the plagues to stop. Really, he was trying to get the people out of there, but you, you get what I'm saying. That intense prayer, when things were happening, that's the word that's used here. In other words, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea. Now look, you're going to have to really hold on. If you know, if you're new and you don't know whether you're going to heaven... Here's the gospel right here in a, the barrenness of the women of the Bible. Because they had all the pedigree. They had, you know, especially her. She had the pedigree. She had the character. She was a good lady. Look. And she was barren. And it took... A move of God after 20 years to bring a child, to have a birth. And isn't that what the gospel's all about? We can't rely on anything that we've done in order for us to have 
eternal life. Amen? I used to think, oh, I'm just going to learn the Bible, get the rules, and be a good boy, and smile, and keep people polite, or keep my politeness to other people, and I'll be a good person, and God, when I die, will measure me, and I won't be as bad as some, but I won't be, you, you get it. And maybe I'll get in. That's how I used to think. Until somebody shared the gospel with me. When I started to understand that God, in God's grace, he sent his son, gives, for us who are sinners, listen, by nature and by deed. Because of what happened in the garden to Adam and Eve, we started to read about it. There's this thing that happened. There was this enmity between God and man or God and humans because of our sin. We were totally barren. We had nothing. Pedigrees don't matter. Good moral choices don't matter. You have a sin issue when you come out of the womb. And the only (laughs) antidote or remedy for that is that Jesus take your sin or took your sins at the cross and you trust in that all by the grace of God. And listen, you go from being barren to being alive. See, the gospel's right here. And if you've never done that, if you can't say to yourself, well, I know I'm going to heaven because of the what Jesus accomplished on my behalf and our behalf at the cross and his resurrection giving me new life. If you don't know that, then here's your opportunity today to give your life to Christ. This is the gospel right here in Genesis. And the other thing I take from this, now on a practical level, and also in a spiritual way. You know, there's some people in the church that complain about their wife. Not this church. I'm talking about the church at large. <laughs> but you ever met somebody and you're like, my wife, she's such a whatever, or this, or nag, or da 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 and, and you know what the Bible says in Corinthians? That the wife is the reflection of the husband. You can look it up. I think it's 1 Corinthians 1. It's either 17 or 27. It's one of the two. The wife is the glory of the husband. If you are worried about who your wife is and you're pointing the fingers, well, there's three pointing back at you. And one of the things that I think men do not do, but maybe they do, is if you wrote down, listen, you know what I have to do every day? Oh, man, do I hate it. I hate it. I have to keep my time as a lawyer. I have to bill. If I don't have my time in by the end of the week, guess what? I get dinged a 100 bucks. I don't want to tell you. It's what, the fifth week or sixth week of the year. I don't want to tell you how many times I've been dinged so far. But if you had to keep time, husbands, of how much time... You seriously, I don't mean just bless my wife. We're on your knees praying for your wife. You keep saying she's barren. How is it that you're helping the situation by propping her up and praying? 
Because the Bible says that this one pleaded with the Lord for his wife. He pleaded. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, she conceived babies. But you see the spiritual application. If you're unhappy with your wife, look at yourself. Now, on the flip side of that, everybody has free will too, but that's for a different day. But the children struggled together within her, these two, and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? And the word struggle there is it's smashing together. Something was happening in her pregnancy that was rough, and she could feel it, and she knew. It all is all well. Why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples are going to be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, that's another theme in the Bible. See, this is why I think the Bible, the Old Testament, is all about grace. Because oftentimes, you can you pick them. I won't go through them right now because I know we're running out of time. But oftentimes in the Old Testament, the younger one is get, got, gets the blessing over the older one, which was very unconventional in antiquity. You get that? Because the older one was supposed to receive, by the law, by the way, the double inheritance, more money, so that he could provide for the family. But in God's economy, he oftentimes picks the younger. In other words, he's telling you, I operate, God says, by grace, by choosing, by picking And here, two nations were in her womb. They're going to be separated. One people is going to be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. They called his name Esau, which means hairy or red. By the way, Adam could mean red, land red, like clay from the dust. And his hand took hold of Esau's, or afterward his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, Jacob, Isaac was, and and so there's a derivation on his name that can mean heel catcher. He was trying to catch the heel of his brother. But anyway, Jacob was 60 years, or Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. You see that? 20 years of waiting. And so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents, and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Isaac apparently loved, you know, the rough and tumble, outdoor hunting kind of guy, and Rebecca loved Jacob because he was a little bit more mild and meek and spent a lot of time indoors, the Bible tells us, and spent a lot of time with mom. Well, Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, look, by the way, there's a warning. There's a real warning. And I'm speaking to myself here. When do you get really cranky and crabby and off kilter in your walk with the Lord? I mean, seriously, practically, when you're tired, when you're wiped out. And here, look, he gives away his whole birthright. Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew 
for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom means red. You're like, why is this such a big story? Well, there's a number of reasons. When the Israelites came into the promised land, guess who was there trying to defeat them? The Edomites. Hey, listen, when Babylon came and ripped out uh, Judah, who was one of the country or one of the people groups that helped fight with Babylon? The Edomites. Oh, by the way, do you know every Christmas when you do the cute little story, there's one story of the manger and the magi and all that that ain't very cute. It's when King Herod wants to murder the babies because he's jealous and angry. You remember that? Guess what Herod is? He's an Idumean, which came from the Edomites. So this is an important theme here. You are going to have two peoples that are going to be separated from your body, one stronger than the other, and the older is going to serve the younger, and there's going to be tension all throughout the Bible between these two people groups. Everybody with me? So watch. Jacob said, well, sell me your birthright of this day. Now, remember, I alluded to it. What's the birthright? Well, there's one birthright that's this. I told you, you get a double inheritance as the older because you were to take care of the family. Esau's selling that away. But if you think about it, what has been promised to Isaac He's been promised what Abraham was promised. A great nation, land, descendants, blessing. Esau gave all of that away too. In a moment of tiredness and weariness and uh, being more concerned with the appetites of the flesh than with the things of of God or the spirit or the promises of God. Amen? Oh my goodness, do I even have to go down that trail? Happens in a lot of romantic things. We want to honor the Lord. And the next thing you know, we're in a situation where we didn't want to go down that road because we wanted to satisfy the appetites of our flesh. And that was more important in the moments of weakness or weariness. Amen? It can happen at work. It can happen in our integrity. It can happen in a lot of places, not just there, where we get into a place and we're weary and we're worn out and we're not on guard and we're not sober, we're not alert, we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, and the next thing you know, we've given it away. It can happen in a moment. And here he gives away all of it. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob say, swear to me this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and a stew of lentils. He ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12. The reason I brought up sexual immorality, because in Hebrews chapter 12, God speaks about sexual immorality in the realm of Esau and his life, and the appetites of life, and that we obey our flesh more than we obey the Spirit. 
And so as we close out here today, you know, I would just say this. (laughs) Who here maybe doesn't know whether they're going to heaven or not? Maybe they don't know if they have eternal life. You know, the Bible says you can know. And the Bible says, he who has the Son has eternal life. He who has the Son has life. And it also says that what we need is not a moral adjustment. Do you get this? This whole thing that we're doing, and we're going to go all the way through the Bible, is not to make you a better person. Christianity has nothing to do with making you a better person, although the end result is that you become a person who's godly. What Christianity deals with is not making people better morally. Christianity means taking dead people and making them alive. See, because it's not an issue of morality. The Christian life is not an issue of morality. Christianity is an issue of iniquity, sin. If you've sinned or if I've sinned, we fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says if we fall short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. But if we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, that Jesus is who he says he was, Jesus was God on earth as the Son who came to pay for our sins He died, which means he took all that uh, man could dish out through their codified law. You know, uh, commandment 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And if you've ever violated these commandments, boom, the wages of sin is death. Well, we couldn't fulfill them. Jesus fulfilled them perfectly. We sinned. He didn't. And the end of the law, the curse of the law, is death. So if you choose to live by being good, I got news for you. You're going to fail. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that means that God's going to judge you righteously by what you've done. And if you've failed just that much, the Bible says you'll be separated from God. But you could have eternal life by believing in the Son And he would restore you and give you and impute to you his righteousness and give you everlasting life. So I'm not sure about the worship folks, but if they're coming, you can come now. I see somebody in the hall, so. (laughs) But as they come, I want us to bow our heads, all of us. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ... Or if you're unsure about whether you have salvation, I want you to raise your hand if you want to come into the family of God. If you want to come into the family of God. If you, if somebody asks you today, are you going to heaven, would you know how to answer? If you don't know how you would answer, raise your hand if you want to know Jesus and come into a living relationship with Him. By His sacrifice, God will prepare Himself a sacrifice, the Bible tells us. And uh, if you're here today and you've done that, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, 
Maybe it is that you haven't been believing or trusting. I know I could raise my hand there in all the promises of God. And you're asking the Lord to trust, to help you trust him even more. Don't you love that hymn that says, to prove him more and more? Oh, it's so beautiful. What a prayer. Let's pray that together. Maybe that's somebody here who needs to trust the Lord. Maybe somebody here has been scared to die. Now, nobody wants to fall out of a plane or be in a fire or anything like that and enjoy the physical thing, but maybe you've been just scared to die. Well, what we've learned today is that you're going to be with the Lord in heaven forever. And by the way, if you were standing up here for worship, these poor people have earpieces in. I felt sorry for them today because to listen to you sing was a great privilege. Just a peewee little slice of what will be happening in heaven. This is amazing. But maybe you've been afraid to die. And the Lord is saying to you, you know what? Yes, count your days and make it full. But don't be scared because you're going to be with me. And maybe the Lord wants to help you with that. <laughs> or maybe, you know, like me, I've been so busy, I, <laughs> I haven't been praying for my wife. And the Lord's just reminding me about those scriptures. Well, whatever it is, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here that needs salvation, that doesn't know you in a real and saving way, and that would happen today, you just raise your hand and uh, uh, we would uh, pray for you here. But for all of us, Lord, who need these lessons, knit to our hearts these scriptures by the power of the Spirit, Lord, help us to prove you like this... uh, (laughs) This hymn says more and more, to trust you more and more, to stand on your promises in life, out in the world. When people criticize us, when people hate us, and they need love, and they're injured and wounded, they need love. Help us, Lord, to love like you love. Help us to stand on your promises. Help us to support and love and prop up and want the best for our spouses. And Lord, help us not to grow weary in doing good, or else we may end up like Esau and regret those things. And when we go to be with you, Lord, and we know the time is coming, (laughs) may we have no regrets. In Jesus' name, amen.